Welcome everybody to Dear Asian Americans. Thank you so much for listening. And today we have another special treat, switching up the show name just a little bit, changing one word and featuring our second ever Australian guest. So we have another founder of Subtle Asian Traits. This time it's Carrie Kang. So welcome to Dear Asian Australians. Excited to share with you my conversation with Carrie, Anne's friend and partner in creating Subtle Asian Traits. You get to hear some great and awesome stories of Carrie's uh, personal story growing up and how he was able to visit uh, Facebook HQ to share with Facebook executives his story and how they created one of the greatest uh, Facebook groups and social movements that we know about today. want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we are getting close to 50 episodes and we've been around just over 10 weeks and it means so much to me that you are tuning in. Every single listen, every single follower on Instagram and every single message that I get means the world. Um, so thank you. Uh, it brings me a lot of joy and um, just happiness and emotion, to be honest, to be able to share these stories. And a big, big shout out to all the guests who've uh, invested their time and their energy to share their story on our show. Um, just want to say thanks. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Carrie. Welcome to Dear Asian Australians. This is our second edition of Dear Asian Australians. We are pivoting just ever so slightly on the show name and the show theme to welcome yet another amazing guest from down under. And again, the Australians are living in the future. It is Saturday morning over there, while, or Friday morning over there, excuse me, while us Americans are stuck a day behind. And perhaps that is a metaphor for how our government is handling this mess. So wherever you are, maybe listening, whenever you may be listening to this, we wish you all the health, the safety and happiness as you as we navigate these challenging times together. Um, excited to really, really, really excited to have Carrie Kang on the show today. Carrie is another one of the co-founders of the group that we all love and a group that has brought us so much uh, belonging, community and laughter through the community that he and his friends created at Subtle Asian Traits. Um, Carrie's unique in one of the co-founders that uh, he and his sister, both are co-founders. You know, he's a friend of Anne's. Anne's been on the show before. And we are really lucky to get uh, Carrie here and to share with us from his perspective and to hear his life story of the life of Carrie, the Chinese Australian. So, Carrie, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks for making time. Um, it is an interesting time to be alive. It is a fascinating <laughs> yeah. time, I think, um, for, for those of you uh, who are in the student population, um, at least you have the benefit of just studying and not worrying about getting a job or anything like that quite yet. Um, but, you know, I, I think the viewpoint of all the things that we're seeing in the world, um, what we need more of is positivity. What we need more is just sometimes a break from reality, a break from all the unfortunate and uh, scary news that we see in terms of the public health crises, the hate crimes, the racism, and of course, all the um, the hospitalizations and the unfortunate deaths that come from COVID-19. But we sometimes go to Facebook to find community. We sometimes go to Facebook to find humor and laughter and belonging. And whether, I'm pretty sure you didn't think to be the beacon of light and a beacon of hope and happiness uh, at a global level for so many people around the world to the tunes of millions. Um, but it is a group that you and your friends have started. And so we're going to talk about subtle Asian traits, um, get your story on how it all was started. Um, but first, we want to learn a little bit more about Carrie and the Kang family. Um, share with us, how did the Kang family move to Melbourne? And tell us a little bit about growing up uh, Chinese-Australian. Sure. Um, so my both of my parents are Chinese, and they're from the same province. Um, so before they moved, so they both wanted to move to Australia for like a new opportunity because they saw that, um, Australia was such a place where we, they could, uh, start a new life, have a new opportunity and, um, really just like grow from there. Um, so although they came from the same province, so this, um, the province is in Xiamen, which is like right next to Taiwan. So we speak a dialect of Taiwanese. Mm. Um, uh, they both came not knowing each other. And yet they came to Australia through mutual friends. They got to know each other. Um, and then they got married um, without their parents' consent. Don't worry about that. 
uh, later on, they, <laughs> they got their consent. Um, yeah, and then a few years on, they had my older sister, sorry, Angela. Um, she's four years older than me, and then in 2001, they had me. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess growing up, uh, it's it's a very, not a unique situation, but I think it's a very weird com- uh, weird one because I grew up as a Chinese, but in a Western culture. So I got to experience at home, I got to experience the Chinese culture. I got to experience all the things like eating, <laughs> eating rice, like, um, I don't know, having like Lunar New Year every year um, while going to school and experiencing um, such a westernized culture and people having such different backgrounds. And I think that was interesting because like now growing up, I tend to, I, I realize I have a, a, a Asian background, but I do tend to feel more Western in a way. I think that's that's natural for a lot of us, right? So I, I was born in Korea, but I came to the States when I was eight. And we are largely influenced by our surroundings, obviously, our friends at school, the TV that we watch, the content and the media that we consume. Um, so it is, we're neither nor, but we're, we're both. So it's not, I don't think it's 50-50, neither is it 100-100. It, it's somewhere in between where... Um, we have the ability to be a chameleon almost, you know, blend in and adapt into the situation where necessary. Um, but, you know, I, I think same goes for a lot of our brothers and sisters in Australia, where we're never going to change the color of our skin. We're always going to have black hair and like it or not, you know, some of the uh, our fellow friends and fellow citizens in our respective countries might feel that we don't have as much right as they do for having been there. Although, as it is in America and Australia's case, it was neither people's land. They took it over. Yeah, just exactly. That they just got there before we did. Yeah. So it's it's a fascinating, you know, often the joke about like, okay, cool. If you're a white American or white Australian, you're probably like sixth, seventh, or eighth generation, whatever you are. Mm. We happen to be first or second. So we're still, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting that it's just whoever got there first always has to or feels like claiming it. Tell me a little bit more about where you grew up. Is it a diverse community? And, and you said you, you know, you resonate with the Western culture a little bit more, completely understandable, but yet you grew up in a home with parents and, and a sister um, and the food and the culture and the customs are very different. Mm. Um, how did you deal with or navigate sort of the early childhood? Who am I? And, you know, did you have a lot of friends going to grade and, you know, primary and in high school um, that were of similar cultural background? Uh, definitely not. Sorry, I went to a real, oh, I went to a very small Catholic school with around maybe 30, 40 people in my year level. Wow. And out of those 30, 40 people, there'd be me and another um, Chinese boy. So there's only two uh, Chinese people in my year level. Um, but that just meant that I got to know the whole school. But even even in the whole school, I, there wasn't that many Chinese people, Asian people in general. Mm. Um, so it uh, it wasn't um, a big thing to be Asian in a way. However, me and this um, other Chinese kid, we really did resonate and we really did um, become really close friends. Um, unfortunately, I lost contact with him. But um, I think it's really interesting that like it's, uh, it's the fact that like we both grew up in similar situations and yet we could find this thing um, even though there were so many other people that we could talk to. Um, but I do think that a part of who I am is, uh, well, someone who is like a social butterfly who likes to um, make sure that everyone's happy. And I think that kind of relates to my situation of like being both Asian living in a Western culture is like, I think we as Asians do think that we need to please everyone and make sure that everyone is happy. And yet I think it's for too long that we've realized that. And so I think right now out of all times is a good time to really like put our stamp of approval in, on things and make sure that our culture really shines through. <laughs> I, I think you, uh, many people are resonating with you as, as you're saying those words, Carrie. Um, so you went to a high school with one other uh, Chinese student with, with whom you didn't really click, and it was a small community. Um, oh, this is primary you, school, yeah. Oh, primary school. Okay, yeah. tell me about high school. Yeah, sure. 
Um, so high school was a bit more different. So high school, I went from a cohort of around 30 to 40 to around 180, 200. Mm. So um, that's when I got to know more, um, I guess, pe- people in general, but I guess Asians yeah. as well. Um, and that's where I met some of the other admins as well. So out of the um, eight admins, I think four or five of us went to the same high school. So then, yeah, so four out of the eight of us, um, not including my sister, of course, so she went to the same high school as me. Uh, we went to this, uh, so we all did our own things, um, but uh, we all went to Chinese school together. So uh, we didn't really talk, because there was only 180, 200 people on mm-hmm. a level, I didn't really get to talk to them because they were in different classes. And yet when we went to Chinese school, we would all talk and like have fun. Um, so that's where I could meet, I could uh, experience a lot of uh, even more different cultures. So the school was really, I was really fortunate enough to go to such a diverse school because we had all these different um, activities and days that we could do. So we had a specific day called Lote Day and that was like the international day. And so you would go in, you could choose activity, different activities to do. Um, I remember there was one activity that I did was like origami. And I, that was like really interesting. Um, and it, um, I don't know, I was like going in, going to um, my, the school that I did. Um, I didn't really appreciate it. Oh, no, I, did, I didn't really realize how much I would appreciate it mm. going out from um, high school. <laughs> So I, I think when I, you know, I am not from Australia, so I, I don't know. I do think that we have a lot of uh, similarities based on our parents' generation of some of the expectations that are thrown at us or, you know, from an early age just mm-hmm. ingrained into us in terms of what we should make of their sacrifice, right? So your parents move to Australia on their own separately to pursue a better life and and they decided to start a family there. And um, what is their definition of success for you and your sister? So my parents, I think they do realize that we live in a Western culture. Therefore, they do realize that we would rather do things that we enjoy. And I do appreciate that because like, I'm doing right. I'm like at uni and I'm doing what I enjoy. And yet it kind of aligns with what they expect me to do. So I'm really lucky in that sense. Um, but I guess a bit like there has been a lot of conflict um, between us in how we see eye to eye to um, how much like effort we should really put in and um, how much like study we put in um, because they'll be looking at like my cousins and like my their friends in China or whatnot and to see like how hard they're putting in the effort because of the difficult opportunity that they're in and they don't get as many opportunities as we do in Australia. And yet they see me like, I'll be on my phone. I'll be talking to my friends a lot. And that's really how I learn. It's it's a very different situation. I learn through talking to my friends and really going through the work together. And yet I think it's a bit difficult for them to see that. And yet they still realize that I'm learning in a sense. I think that's great. You know, I I can't, we we talk about it on this show quite often and with most of our guests, all of our guests, it's just this notion that our parents are doing their best to support us in the ways that work for them and make sense to them, right? So um, most of our parents grew up in a different decade, a different generation before technology was what we know it to be today, most likely in a country that looks very different, not only from Australia of today and America of today, but both of China and Korea and Vietnam of today. Mm. But they are operating from a point of, I know what makes sense. I know what success looks like for me in 1980s China or 1990s Korea. And so I am going to help my kids go follow that same path that worked for us or that we have seen work. I think it's a big challenge too when in a literal foreign land, and I can't imagine at my age, I'm 36 now, like picking up my kids and uh, moving to a whole new country and starting from zero, right? Like I just, it's unimaginable. And the amount of things that our parents collectively in their first immigrant generation really went through is, is baffling. Um, Mm. Just all the kudos in the world to, to them, right? Because we, 
we're weak. We're not as strong as they are. We can't go through half the stuff they did. Sure. Um, so it's it's unimaginable. But even with all that, you know, they had to learn not just a new language, but a new culture while trying to raise kids, while trying to put food on the table. So kudos to the parents. And I think sometimes we um, get frustrated with some of their, you know, older way of thinking or um, close-minded as, as we perceive it. Um, but they just want the best for us, right? And so it is it is really... Um, you know, heartwarming and, and nice to hear. Of course, parents, regardless of what your background is, parents and kids are always going to have conflict, for, you know, between um, what we want to do and uh, what, what they want us to do, which is completely okay. Um, <laughs> so, so talk to me about the last couple of years. What were some of the things? Um, so, I mean, so we, we know about Asian traits and we know where that ended up, right? And we know what it is today. You know, maybe, so this would have been uh, two years from now, like early 2018, yes. right? So, um, you are the right smack in the middle of Gen Z. You were born in 2001. You grew up with the internet. Yeah. Um, you know, so this was, and so community within the digital context on Facebook, um, using the vehicle we now know as memes to display humor and connect with each other are some things that you just grew up with. Um, for, for some of us older folks, we had to learn it, but it was just so naturally inclined to you. Um, take me back two years or even more than two years ago. And, um, was there a sense on your end to find community with other like-minded immigrant kids in the Melbourne and um, Australian community to, to bond? Did you, were there other communities like that? Um, so there definitely wasn't any communities like that. Um, and I think we found that satellation trades really made a, like a online platform for that, but I'll get into that a bit later. Um, personally, I didn't feel that as if I, I needed, um, to find a new community because I felt so comfortable in the community that I already had. Um, however, um, I do understand that other people may have felt that as well. Like, because it's such a, um, um, because it's so hard to live in a place where obviously if you're not comfortable enough and you don't know where to find a community, it's very difficult to go out and find one in the real world. And I think it's so much easier to go online and like really just do a quick Google search on Asian community and um, try to find something. However, I do think that a few years ago, it was a bit more difficult um, to get an online space, specifically because um, the media, social media is dominated by a more westernized culture. Um, and even not even just social media, but like, movies and tv shows and i think people are now especially with the whole um crazy rich asians kind of <laughs> um whole media finanza um people are now realizing that oh asians can really do this and asians do need a representation in um, media you know I, I grew up in la went to high school in new york city and you know have, have been in mostly larger american cities and, and melbourne is you know, one of the largest cities in Australia. It's a big metropolis. Even if you go out to the suburbs, it, it's still part of that big metropolis area. And um, a lot of those folks too, you know, it's 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 not a, and, and like you shared, it's overall a pretty diverse city with a lot of different cultures and representations and in different immigrant communities. Um, so we may have had a different resonance or a different observation because like you, I had my own personal in-person network of friends who look like me and restaurants that we could frequent and jokes and stories that we could tell uh, with friends that we had, whether through school or work or just life. Um, so I, I think it's fascinating because as you mentioned, you're right. There are millions of people out there who don't have that luxury of growing up in a very populous, diverse, um, culturally centered, big, big city. So I think when we talk about digital community, it's that's the beauty of it, right? So whereas before you won't, you would not have been able to connect or at least laugh at the same thing with somebody who lives in the countryside or in you know some other remote area or outside of America and Australia, some other country where there really isn't a, a large um, Asian or you know Asian community. Um, so share with me how subtle Asian traits was formed and how you landed on the name and give me a little bit of context on we now know it as you know the founders that were a group of students a group of friends 
Um, how did you guys, did you guys vote on things? Was it majority rules or did somebody just say, hey, we're going to call it this and it is what it is? T- tell us a little bit about the group dynamics there. Yep. So as I said before, um, four out of the eight of the admins um, went to my high school. And so we already knew each other before going into Chinese school. Um, and yet, like, because I was, there was two classes and I was in one of the classes and most of the other admins were in the other class. And so I didn't really get to know them until maybe year nine, year 10. Um, and that's when we all really clicked. And so, um, I, I, as Anne said, we all kind of didn't really like Chinese school. I mean, <laughs> we gave up our Sunday mornings to really do more learning. Like, who would want to do that as a year nine, like year 10, year eight? Um, anyway, and so we would always muck around. We wouldn't really do that much. And so um, we would always kind of Facebook message in class because <laughs> obviously you can't talk in class, but we could always sure. text. Um, and so we, like, we had a Facebook messenger group from that, like a messenger group. Um, and then a few years on, um, in year 11, year 12-ish, a, a popular group called sort of private school traits came out. And we all went to private school. It sounds a bit prestigious, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, and then so it was really interesting to um, kind of look at the post and like laugh about it because of we because we were part of this minority. And although... Mm. Um, we, we although being in a private school was a minority it wasn't it, it was a privilege and i think a lot of people in online group didn't realize that um anywho um the, the the group was subtle private school traits and that's where we got the name from so we were thought we were talking one day we thought oh it'd be really funny if we could um implement our asian background in a while um in it mm. because we were talking about like all the little things that our asian parents do what we do as asians and um uh that we found um we thought that was unique to us but we i didn't we didn't realize that so many other people had connected with it as well and i guess that's what part of the success was was that we just made it a group for like our little friendship group we added all of our friends. Um, I added my sister who added all of her 100, 200 mm. number of friends who, because she had a bigger friendship kind of group um, over the years, over the four years. Um, yeah, and then it grew from there. So I think part of it was that um, of how the function of Facebook groups work where you can't actually see or you can't actually add people to the group. Uh, sorry, you can't. Uh, tag other people in the group unless they're already in the group. So obviously you have to add all of your friends. But um, part of it was that it was this cultural thing where people didn't really have a space where they could really laugh about Asian jokes and like look at Asian memes. And I think memes in itself is like um, the definition of it, I guess, is uh, it's, it's like an inside joke. It's an online inside joke, really, is how I see it. And um, as you said, that like our Asians are, like they're a minority in Westernized culture, but we we are a ma- kind of majority in the world. Sure. Um, and so I guess this inside joke, whatever you want to call it, really resonated with a lot of people. That's I guess that's why we're nearly up to one point eight million members. <laughs> what was the very first thing you guys shared in the group? Um. What, so the first few posts was made by us and it was just trying to, to get it rolling. One of the first things was made by an, an admin uh, named Tony and he put when um, Asians hoard toothpicks at restaurants. <laughs> so you would, <laughs> Asians would go to restaurants, they would take all the toothpicks and I'd remember um, I'd be sitting in the car with my dad and my dad would just take out his toothpick. I'm like, where did you get that from? He's like, yeah, I just took it. <laughs> it was just a thing. Like I grew up and like I would go to – like even me now, like I'd go to hotels and what whatnot, and I'd take all the shampoos because that's what I would do. And now in our yeah. bathroom, we have all these shampoos, and I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> uh, it's 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 that though, right? Because it's one of these things where I, beyond the memes and beyond the funny, I think what your group has really done for an entire generation of people is to give permission to feel the way that they feel that 
the things that we thought were unique to our moms or just Korean moms or any smaller subset, you go and you're like, wait a minute, Vietnamese moms do that too? And you're like, holy shit, like Chinese dads. I'm like, and it's, yeah, there are certain uh, unique characteristics by culture and by language and by country, but by and large, there's just more things that unite us than separate us. Mm. Um, I mean, her, if, if we go into history or whatever, we're probably one part of one big clan and then humans got silly and fought each other and drew lines in the sand and that's how borders are formed, right? Like borders are not natural, they're man-made. So, you know, before the wars and before all the crazy stuff, like we all came generally from the same things and um, genes have memory and we are all sort of in the same cultural mindset or just, um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of the things that we sometimes unfairly critique our parents for is going back to where what their context is, right? Like overall, they grew up poorer than we did. They grew up in war. They grew up in communism. They grew up in famine. Um, they were refugees. They were separated, you know, occup- all sorts of crazy stuff. So like part of a lot of the things that I think we now, you know, not laugh at, but laugh about are things born out of uh, survival. You know, it's, it's not the toothpick, but it's just take what you can when you can because you don't know when that's going to come next. And that's sort of the the real sort of the impetus or the, or the root of that behavior. Um, you know, uh, in Korean, it's not eat well, right? Maybe it's we eat well now, but for a long time when I was growing up, it's eat a lot. You know, they would tell us to eat a lot because my grandparents, they grew up in an era where you literally didn't know where your next meal was going to come from. So perhaps we can laugh about it now and like be like, oh, you know, like that's how kids got chunky or got fat or, you know, gain weight. But part of it is just the context of understanding. And I think what the group has also done from that regard, from a mental health perspective, is to give light and perspective to why, instead, of course, you laugh at it, you enjoy about it, and then you discuss about it. But then for some, they take it to the next level and go, why was this a thing, right? Like, why would my parents and my grandparents and aunties and uncles have behaved this way. And then I think that's the real benefit that you guys are providing to the community and to the world really is to have these discussions and thoughtful things about, I just thought my mom was weird, but if I think about it a lot and I talk to my friends and there's this community that I belong to and it's like, oh, that's why it makes sense, right? And so I think it's really uh, the actual literal definition of a community to share something and then to really enjoy it together. I want to get from your perspective and and what your mindset was going through the first 90 days of the group's creation. Um, So there you are in Chinese school, you're you're Facebook messaging a bunch of friends and you're like, okay, teachers are knowing, let's, you know, let's, let's slack off and daydream. And, and, you know, so you're like, all right, F it. We're going to make a Facebook group. Um, We're going to call it Subtle Agent Traits. Uh, You start inviting, you know, Angela's got a couple hundred friends in there. You've got a couple hundred friends in there. So does Anne and everybody else. Um, when was the first moment that you had a holy crap moment? Well, how in, uh, I'm not sure in Korean culture, but in, in our culture specifically, uh, eight is a lucky number. Mm. Um, so how we would track uh, our progress was the, the, the number eight. So at first it was <laughs> 8,888. We were like, okay, good. This is, this is good. We need to screenshot this. And then it reached to 88,888 like a few days later. And we were like, whoa, we grew from like 8,888 to 88,000. And then it grew to 888,888. And we were blown away. This was around November, maybe, I'm not sure that's timestamp, or October, something like that. But it was, it was really interesting because we grew at such a, like an exponential amount in such a short amount of time. Yeah. And we had, at that time, we hadn't realized how phenomenal that was. Now we realize <laughs> that it's one of the biggest, one, one, I say one of right. the biggest, but, um, but I'm not sure. <laughs> one of the biggest. Uh, it's up there. Out there. It's out there. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah. And then so between these 90 days, between from um, September to the end of the year, we grew, um, we, we hit our million point really quickly and soon after that 1.5 um and i guess the first kind of moment we realized it was really big 
um, was when it hit Sydney. <laughs> it doesn't mm. seem that big, but like to hit Sydney, we thought, oh, wow, like we have absolutely, like we have near, near to no contact with Sydney. And yet <laughs> all these people from Sydney are joining. Like, how is this possible? And then the next <laughs> one was obviously around the world. So when it hit New York, when it hit LA, we thought, okay, we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the earlier discussions on the goals of the group or the vision or mission of the group as you guys decide or observe that it was starting to gain traction? Mm-hmm. So from the start, I'll talk a little bit about the Facebook groups, how it works. Um, so we have set up from the start a thing called pending posts. And how that works is uh, pe- people uh, in the group would have to submit posts and then we as admins or moderators will have to approve or decline that post. Um, little did we know that right now we have around 43, 45,000 pending posts. However, wow. <laughs> um, it was just a way to that to keep our group authentic and to keep um, to make sure that the most relevant or the most, I guess, funny um, content was um, on uh, was in the group, was seen in the group. Um, and that was one of the things that we had to make sure um, going through and making sure that our group was successful was to make sure that our, uh, our content was relevant. Um, and uh, one of the biggest things, uh, one of the biggest rules that we had was obviously being Asian, but another thing was being funny and another thing was that we really try to enforce uh, is if this post will do good if if this post will make things funny if these posts will make sure that there's no othering in a sense mm. where like it would all the like there would be a post maybe it would feel to be like a, a caucasian person versus an asian person like although we are trying to reinforce that asian people are good in a way, we don't really want to say that Western culture is bad, in a sense. Um, and I guess sure. that's one of the reasons. It's why not about that. Yeah, cha- yeah. We we change the rules from only Asians are allowed to um, everyone's allowed as long as you connect with it, as long as you understand um, where we are coming from. Um, and I remember my sister talking, um, and she was talking to her friend, and there were laughing and joking about salvation traits and then um, my friend uh, her friend who isn't asian she was like um she's um i think she's italian i'm not sure she was she was saying oh yeah my grandma does that too like my grandma like likes to give me food my grandma like likes to give me all these things make sure that i'm well fed make sure i'm like well dressed or whatever and it really like puts into perspective that like these kind of minority minute minute like um culture traits whatever you want to call it isn't just asian specific it's really like the world specific i think it's yeah it's it's humanity right like grandmas love us and their love (laughs) language was food right like you know and parents sacrifice for their kids and it's protectionism it's just there's a slight context i think obviously hits harder and home um, because a lot of it is food based a lot of it is custom based um Let's get in your mind and sort of the, let's nerd out for a little bit and talk yes. about the mechanics of the group. Who gets to decide what's funny? And tell me what it was like when it was the eight of you, because you just shared with us how you guys decide what gets through. Uh, now with approaching million point eight with 40 some odd moderators who all have equal ability to yes or no a post. Um, what are some guidelines that were in place 18 months ago when it was just the eight of you? Um, and how has that evolved as a group has gotten bigger and you have to, you had to bring in more people to help manage the group. Mm-hmm. So I guess from the start, it was a bit more easier because content was out there. Like you could really write whatever you want. And uh, as, as long as it was related to being Asian and we would approve it. Um, I guess as the time goes on, content gets a bit more scarce and people do, uh, lean less from out with your background as growing up and more in the pop culture really and like seeing what's going on around the world and like posting about that and seeing what's funny about it and i think like we do get a lot of posts about like coronavirus with uh covid19 we do get a lot of posts about um other like things that are going on around in the world um uh but i guess 
what has changed what would be the amount of posts that we had to go through and i guess that's where all the moderators come in from um like it doesn't matter how funny your post is if we don't see it in time it's a bit <laughs> it, it really goes <laughs> into the air so sure. that's why um we try to get as many of our friends because we knew them personally to help out and so they would became the first moderators and then we realized oh we need more um diverse people because we are all we all went to chinese school we're all chinese and yet mm. we wouldn't understand the korean jokes the Vietnamese jokes the um, the indian jokes like all these different jokes we wouldn't un- we couldn't understand not because that we didn't want to but because we didn't grow up in that specific background and so we started to ask all these different other um friends of friends um people online that we kind of knew that um had different backgrounds um that was the first kind of asking of the mods to come in. And then the second time that we uh, recruited all these different mods was um, internationally. So we realized that in Australia, we, it's only in one specific time that we mm. can really prove posts. Um, right. We had to ask people from around the world. And we, although we, feel, we felt less comfortable doing that because we didn't know these people, they were completely randoms to us, we still had to enforce a little bit of our trust into these moderators to um, be able to approve specific type of posts that we do want. And the recruitment, I say recruitment process, but it's rather just like an interview, oh, not an interview, sorry. It's a conversation. And then um, we do try to tell them what we do expect and what we do mm. want from them and what we do, uh, the specific guidelines to what we claim is funny. Um, and they understand that. Like they, they're part, they, they just, um, Every day, like even us as admins and moderators, we appreciate our position um, having this impact, and yet we are completely with no ones <laughs> in a way. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have around 40 to 50 moderators from around the world. Um, and it's really interesting because we, uh, the other day we had a Zoom call um, with maybe around 20 odd of them. And it was really interesting to hear everyone's perspective of what's going on in um, around their. Um, around the area around COVID-19. Um, and everyone's pretty much the same. Everyone's stuck at home doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> so I guess that kind of <laughs> makes us feel better. I think there's a lot of business and leadership lessons in the story that you just shared. And maybe you guys did it intentionally, or maybe in hindsight, it's like, holy crap, that was really brilliant. Um, you had a product as a business that became wildly popular. And sometimes companies go through this where through their explosive growth, they have to add headcount quite a bit, very quickly. And one of the most challenging things for businesses or any organizations to maintain in a time of massive growth is culture. Because with eight people who have history with each other, who have similar backgrounds, it's really easy to maintain culture. And even that, I wouldn't say it's easy. It's easier. But as you expand it to, and you grew because of strategy, right? You needed other people who saw things that you didn't see. So there's humility there, right? Um, You can't do everything right. So you have to hire for the roles that you're not good at. So you brought in, for lack of a better term, culture experts who could help you decipher what's funny and relevant from different lenses. Um, You are a global entity. So you brought in people from other sides of the world that could help you maintain operational capability 24 hours a day and in different time zones. And you set up a structure to help and train those people to decide what you guys and to the best of their ability to help maintain the ethos and the culture that the eight of you had built. So maybe you guys did this intentionally and you guys are just, you know, savants and geniuses that will take over the world one day or you just did what you thought was necessary. And as it is in business and as it is in life, it's just if you do the right thing to maintain the culture and take care of the people, everything else, you weren't trying to hack it, right? Is I guess my point. You know, there wasn't a deliberate plan to do it so that you can grow to 1.8. I, I would venture to say that if somebody started a group today um, in whatever form, funny, culturally relevant, um, they're not going to be able to duplicate your success and your your um, exponential growth um, in any any form because I just think it's 
also the organic nature of the way that your group grew, which really led to uh, your popularity. Um, so you said you got to a million pretty quickly and it's been growing. Um, I mean, ex, you know, relatively speaking, you're like, oh, you got to a million in the first three months and it's only been 800,000 in the last 15. Forget about all that. It's still crazy, right? Like, you know, yeah. you, you go through the group and you're like, wait a minute, this post has like 30,000 likes. That's insane. Which means half a million people saw it, right? Based on the impressions versus likes. And and then you guys are seeing all this data on the back end, right? Like just the engagement levels are, are, are through the roof. And the global impact that it has had, I'm pretty sure people have met and started relationships from their group. I'm sure people have gotten together and potentially started projects and businesses and connected with each other. Um, as mentioned in a different show, you know, your show has actually helped create Asian Create, or I'm sorry, your group um, has impacted other groups and has been the brainchild and the inspiration for what I think is we're just at the tip of the iceberg and myself too in wanting to create more communities of people that are like-minded but have a particular focus, whether it be, you know, in a professional field or in an interest group or by a geography. And I think people look to subtle Asian traits as the thing that really helped give people permission to the things that we didn't even know we wanted in our lives, right? And timing was also important because it was right around that time that um, the overlords at Facebook decided to push groups, right? Yes. It was good timing because engagement was going down, right? They were they bought Instagram, but you know they were losing the younger audience. And so this is another business case. Older people were starting to share pictures of their kids and their puppies and all that stuff. And a few years ago, I think there was some concerns about engagement. How do we keep people on the platform longer, more often? And so they started pushing groups. And so you got in at the right time. And just as good fortune would have it, you know, they were pushing groups probably inorganically through the feeds, right? And so um, that, I think, is one of the coolest things that most people don't know about sort of your, your behind the story of just understanding, yes, it was a cultural revolution or a group phenomenon. It's, a, it's amazing, but it was also just good timing and knowing when to do what, right? It's if you started a Facebook group five years ago, it wouldn't have happened. And if you yeah. started it today, it wouldn't have happened because it's too late and too early. Um, since starting the group, Carrie, what has been the coolest thing that you've got to experience personally? Right. So starting the group, um, it, it was two years ago, and that was when I was still 17. And you, you as Americans <laughs> probably think, wow, he's so young. And yet, like, us in, in Australia as well, like, being an adult, you'll count as if you're 18. And yet, so I was still a, a minor back then. Um, so once once we reached oh, once we reached a million people, um, I was still seventeen at that point. <laughs> so it really it hundred percent really forced me to grow up really quickly. Mm. Um, and yet, when uh, June I think June July came around, um, Facebook contacted us directly. And was like, wow. it would be great if one ad, one of the admins could come to California um, to give a talk uh, and to give an international presentation about your group and what, what your group stands for and how your group became so popular. Um, so our first thought was, great, let's send Angela. Because <laughs> all of us had, it was, it was during exam period. <laughs> Everyone had exams. Everyone had to study. And so we thought, okay, we'll have, we kind of have to send Angela. <laughs> but Angela couldn't go because she had work. Um, and so because I'm doing, so currently I'm studying um, engineering and architecture. So architecture, I don't have any exams. I just have a folio due, which meant during the time that the, um, the, the conference was going to be gone, I technically, um, I think the others had also, I'm not sure. But I, for one, didn't have any exams during that period. Um, I had it afterwards. But don't worry about it. <laughs> I, per like, perfectly, I had the, the right time to go. So I got sent over um, by myself. I was 18 at this point, um, And yet I was only, what, four, five months into being 18. I was flying all the way to California, Facebook, by myself um, to 
talk in front of all these people. And I want to try to sound humbling, but it's such an experience that I can't <laughs> Um So the first talk was in front of 60 international media companies. Um, and that was just to kind of gauge what groups is all about because it's a relatively new concept and a relatively yeah. new feature that Facebook's trying to implement. So they were trying to say, wow, like these are all the good things. These are all the good things that's come out of it. Um, and then the next kind of mini interview that we did was me um, and 10, 11 other um, Asian media companies. And they really wanted to get into the um, more details of how the group started and like why the group started. And really, um, it, was an ex- it, was, it was a big experience, let's just say, because it really put me especially into perspective of how big the group has gone and talking <laughs> to, and talking to all the Facebook people, like we, they, like they were really appreciative, even though it was kind of their job, <laughs> they were really appreciative of how much more kind of content and how much more, um, how, how much more traffic you've generated for them. Yeah, that's the one. Money you've generated for them. All, <laughs> all the other above. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and yet they were, they were still trying to push the idea that we are a cultural phenomenon. Like, they, Sure. I, um, I think it is. I would have to agree with that. Yeah, for sure. What, what kind of conversations did you have with Facebook staff up there in terms of obviously there may have been a desire to learn sort of a playbook from your end of how do we then encourage other people to create massive movements on Facebook? Mm-hmm. And because it lives on their platform, obviously people are less likely to cancel their accounts or to move off the platform. And and this, if I, if I time it right, it was around the time there's a lot of questions about data privacy and, you know, especially on the US side of uh, post-election, all, all these things that were giving them negative press so I imagine that they wanted to get as much information or as insight from you as how do we create 10 subtle Asian traits in different parts of the world and different subsets so that we keep people here on our platform. Um, what, what were some of the conversations that you had and what did you learn from visiting here? Yeah. So they didn't send me over for nothing. Like, <laughs> Although I was <laughs> representing Facebook groups, they did want to kind of learn face-to-face of how they could uh, grow um, Facebook groups. So... I think their idea wasn't how do we create 10 more other satellite trades, but rather how can we as a company, as a technology, facilitate other groups to become that big? And so we we had a lot of conversation back and forth of what we had problems with the app, and mm. both on the PC and on the iPhone, sorry, on the phone, um, and the different problems that we had technology-wise um, so that uh, they could really facilitate that. They could engineer that somehow so that it was more easier for us to kind of work through. And one of the biggest things that we um, had a problem with, which was a big thorn in um, our side, was the fact that on, the, your, on your computer, you can, you can approve posts chronologically and also from mm-hmm. the newest. So let's say someone posted it from 10 days ago. Um, on your PC, you would be able to see that and you would only be able to see someone who posted it five minutes ago. And yet on your phone, you wouldn't be able to do that. You would only be able to see the newest. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was one of the biggest things that we had problems with. Um, and only maybe last month, a few weeks ago, they implemented this, that system on our phone. And once we had that, everyone was celebrating because everyone's on their phone. Like you have your phone in your phone right. all the time. Right. Like you can pull it up, but not, you, don't, you don't have your laptop with you all the time. Sure. And, and, you know, there, there's still some functionalities um, of groups that are different from the browser versus the mobile that um, as a manager of Facebook groups myself, that just drive me nuts. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, we just have to hope that they'll, you know, it, it's a learning process for them as well. Right. Um, yeah. So, so Carrie, if somebody is listening to this interview, you are one of the founders of the, the greatest uh, movements in digital community <laughs> period. Um You've been invited and as, as humble as you're being um, at 18 to speak to a bunch of adults at one of the biggest brands in the world to be flown over there and to be learned from and to um, share ideas with. Um, has, it, has there been anything in that experience that has gotten you curious or more interested in doing 
something like this or continuing on the Subtle Asian Traits legacy or brand as more than a group of eight friends who created a place for the world to connect. Yep. Um, firstly, I'd just like to add that um, like uh, a big part of why Facebook was so interested in our group was that we are like a really big group. Um, so they never had someone like any group that has, well, they probably have, but um, it's a bit difficult because for their algorithm, they're more suited for more smaller groups, like mm-hmm. 10, 20 people. Yeah. And yet they've never had some, some, some group that had like, well, one point, nearly 1.8 million members. And so they have to really tailor to both ends. Um, I guess something that I really brought home and I really like really took in was, um, I guess the fact that I can go to uni right now, I can, I can go to different places in real life and join all these different communities and really like discover like it might be, or it could also be through the internet as well that I can be able to discover these real life situations, um, these real life communities. But then, um, so us as Salation Traits, like as our admins, we are trying to get people more offline and not so trying to more mm. offline, but try to connect more communities offline, I mean, right. um, and try to get people to really start talking. And I guess it's a bit difficult in this situation now yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um but i guess it's a start where like people do f- weirdly feel more comfortable online um and not having to commit to directly being face to face sure and i think that's a good start what kind of advice would you have for regardless of age but somebody who might be listening um, who wants to, in their own way, maybe they're in a profession where they don't have a community of like-minded um, people who look like them, or maybe it's within a school. If somebody wants to build a digital community today, um, what are some lessons that you would share with them to make sure that that group is as authentic, organic, and as engaging as something that you've created? Hmm. I think stick to your roots and stick to what you believe in. I think no one's really going to listen to you unless you really listen to yourself, I guess. Um, It's a big thing where you have to really understand why your community exists and what purpose it's for. Like, I guess if you, if you started a group that someone else had already started, there's no real point, but I guess if you really have your own identity of what the group is, what the community is about and, why it exists, I think people will tend to um, really resonate with that. And like, and mm. it's like just because you're part of one community doesn't mean you can't be a part of another one. Right. Like you can really, like pe- people do realize that it's such a big world. Um, yeah. I, I, I forget how, how many different connections I have now that not even me like being a satellite admin, but like, I will be able to talk to different like people from like school, from uni, from work. Um, and it's really like people, <laughs> I guess, yeah, just be authentic. Be authentically yourself. What conversations have you and your sister had with your parents? Do they know, I guess they knew, they have to know now. You, you left home to go to California for this. When did they know that it was a big deal? How did you have to share with them how big of a deal that actually was? And how, what are their thoughts on this thing thing that you created? Every time we talk to them about it, they will all, they'll do like the parents thing and they will always lecture us one way or another. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, like we'll show them we'll show them a meme, we'll show them a funny video and they'll do the classic haha, but like, who's in the, who's that? Is that your friend? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like, obviously there's technology differences and like they would much prefer to use WeChat over Facebook, but, um, sure. Uh, I do think they, they realize that it's kind of our thing that we have grown ourselves. They don't really, they try to kind of tell us like what we should be doing but we don't really listen to them because we're doing our own thing. Like the things about like what we should approve, what we should decline, that kind of thing. Like they have their own mentality of what they think is relevant and what they think should be going out to the world. 
Um, but we kind of want things to just be lighthearted, to things um, for things to be funny. Um, so I guess there's that difference in that. Um, but we joke. We both do understand each other. So you've been covered in the New York Times, uh, the New Yorker, and, and a whole bunch of other just top of the line and world-renowned, world-class publications about the creation that you have been a part of. Um, parents may not read those things. Parents mm-hmm. may not even know what those things are. Um, has the the local or uh, more broad um, Chinese media covered you guys? And, and was that a point where their reaction was a little bit different than you telling them that you guys were in the New York Times? Um. I get, because the New York Times was around about the same time that I went to Facebook. And so it was Mm. really like the peak of like when everything (laughs) was going on. Um, We haven't, we've got, because we are more predominantly like a Western Asian culture. um, English based. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's a bit difficult for these um, international companies to really (laughs) reach out to us. Um, we do, we have done a few um, interviews with like SBS, um, mm. but nothing really too um, too Asian in a way. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. No, I, I think that's great. You know, I but it, it's it's you, you've gone to the places where your audience is, right? So um, you've you've been in the largest and the most prominent English language publications. Um, both traditional and new media, um, like our friends, uh, friend Benny's Next Shark, and have gotten the millions of views through through his network. And and what an amazing thing that he's built too, right? Like just, um, and I, I've been lucky to see it from from the ground up, and and seeing it, it's it's wild, and it's so encouraging. Uh, many of our guests that we've had on the show are in the same boat as you and Anne and Angela and everybody else, and, and Benny, where um, just in the last three or four years. The amount of community, um, not just a number, but just the uh, impact and just the uh, energy behind these things to connect, to finally share, yes, funny haha stuff, but also finally find a home for us in wherever you may be. In many cases, as we started the show with, where, where we often feel left out, whether we feel like we don't belong, and especially in these challenging times of you know COVID-19 related stupid uh, racism and hate crimes and all this stuff. Um, like it's crazy. It's, it's wild and it's crazy. Um, but it is really, really heartwarming to know that there is a place. And even though it might have almost 2 million people in it, that people can join the group freely, um, share things, uh, react to things together. And just maybe for a moment or so, um, just to really feel like they are, um, not alone, that they do belong. And we talked about the word minority. Um, it's only relative to the countries that you're in. Yep. If we take every single Asian person, we're like a third of the world. That's yeah. not a minority, mm-hmm. right? Um, foreign is also a relative concept. You go back home, you're not foreign. Um, so, you know, it, unfortunately, we are... Um, constantly bombarded with messages to make us feel less than, to make us feel out of place, to make us feel that we don't belong. Uh, but if we step back and look at the globe as an entire community and, you know, thanks to people, or I guess, thanks to companies like Facebook who, um, you know, are they perfect? No, but what they have created is the ability for people um, like you and me and everybody else to connect, to laugh at the same things, to bond. Um, and more good has come out of that than not. So, um, Thanks, Carrie. As somebody who probably is is out of your general age demographic um, of of the people who are uh, creating and laughing at the memes, I I will tell you it it brings me so much joy because um, I speak for many in my generation because it's some things that we look at what's going on now. And it's if we had that, if we had that when we were growing up, a support system, a place to connect, a place to feel um, a little slightly less out of place. Um, what could we have done differently in our lives? What choices could we have made differently in terms of academic and career pursuits? Um, so, you know, 
at, at the tender age of 36, I'm starting this podcast to do a little bit of that, uh, not only for my generation, but for yours and, and more importantly for my kids um, who, who are three and one. So um, hopefully by the time they grow up and, and, and can listen to a podcast and figure out, you know, what the heck did dad do in 20, you know, in 2020, we're all playing our small role and big thanks to guys like you to, to make sure that everybody who looks like us or every human being in general um, never feels alone, that feels connected and, and, you know, take that box of toothpicks home, right? Mm-hmm. Take, take the hotel shampoo. Um, so Carrie, I want to end the show in the same that we end all of our shows. And it is in the form of a letter back to the greater Asian community at large. And so share with us whatever you want to share. Um, share with us what you might want to say to a younger, younger version of Carrie, or perhaps somebody who's feeling a little bit lost and wants to find a home in some sort of a community. So um, if you'd help me finish out the show and finish the letter, Dear Asians. So Dear Asians, um, I think now of all times, it's everyone's a bit unwary of what's going on. Um, so I do think, forget about all the bad news, forget about all the, the, the cases of how many blah, blah, blah people have gotten in your, like, in your country, whatever. Think about the opportunities you can have right now. And I think a lot of companies and a lot of different uh, communities and whatnot are going online because they have to. But um, I think it's a great opportunity for people to reach out online. And I think it's um, because we live in a world where your phone is next to your pocket at all times. You have access to internet. And so really utilize that and really get to know um, how your technology works, how it works for you. And really bring home why you really do want to kind of what, what, what you really want to do in your life. And really, um, I guess for me, like, well, how many years ago, like blah, 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 when I was younger, you don't really need to really worry about what's going on in the world. Um, what's really happening in your life, just really live it. But I guess now as an adult, I mean, I don't have much credibility being an adult. I'm only one year into being an adult. Well, I guess for you being in America, I'm yet an adult. But um, I guess really remember back in the times when you were a kid and when times were easier and um, you didn't really have much cares. Really take some of that idea and really bring it into your life right now. Thanks for sharing that, Carrie. And if you're listening to this and you think that your age your race, your location in the world should stop you and give you doubt and give people the ability to tell you, no, you can't throw that away right now. A bunch of 17 year old students, half a world away, created something that has changed an entire generation that continues to change and all for the positive to create a place where we can commune and to laugh at and to connect, but also how many subtle Asian X groups have we, are we seeing? You guys have created a movement. As, as I share this with Anne and I share this with other folks, um, if you can, when you can, um, often pause, step back, and just marvel and appreciate the thing from an objective way. Because at a certain point, it's not an opinion. You built this thing. The data backs it up. The numbers back it up. And the stories that I'm sure you get from the impact that your crazy idea because you were bored in Chinese school and wanted to just funny haha, it's really created a good positive impact in the world. So be proud of that. And whatever you end up doing for the rest of your life, this will always be a part of your legacy. This will always be something that the eight of you get to take on wherever you go. And so on behalf of everybody, not just the 1.8, but the countless other people who've been impacted by your crazy decision 18 months ago, Carrie, thank you. And may you continue to shape the world. And you might want to change the name because it's not so subtle anymore. (laughs) And Asians never have been subtle. And we need to be loud and we need to be vocal and we need to change the world for the better. So thank you, Carrie. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode with Carrie. Um, I mentioned something to carry after we stopped recording, which is uh, something that uh, might be happening should the world re- uh, return back to uh, some sort of normalcy uh, here in later 2020 or 2021. But 
Um, since the number eight is important to Carrie and his friends who started subtle Asian traits, um, maybe they'll do something on the 888th day after they started uh, subtle Asian traits. So uh, join the group if you haven't. As I mentioned earlier, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, just a lot of things to smile about, laugh at, and connect with. And to all the people who are contributing to the conversation and creating Facebook groups of their own, creating communities of their own, wherever that may be, thank you. Uh, we all need a place to feel like we belong. We all need a place to feel not alone in this world, especially with what's going on. And so continue to stay safe out there. Continue to stay home, stay happy, check in on your friends, and connect. Connect with us. Follow on, uh, follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook at The Asian Americans. Shoot us a note if you want to say hello, and I'll be sure to write back. Thanks so much. This has been your host, Jerry Wan of The Asian Americans, and I will see you next time.